Listener Production. You are listening to episode 169 of the Howie Games Part B, featuring Mitchell Stark. Proceed. So how did it come about? How do you find out that you're going to play your first test match for your country against New Zealand? I reckon Warner and... Um, Pado. Pado uh, at the same time, yeah. So h- how do you find out? You, we've taken you through your journey. Do you, do you get a tap on the shoulder? Who says, right, you're in? You're going to play a test match? Yeah, it was an interesting lead-up. We had... Um, it was a changing time for, for Australian cricket. We had a new coach, so Mickey had just taken over. Uh, so we had new new head coach, new team manager. Um, I think we we must have just had a couple guys retire or a few injuries. So there were a few, few spots available. And we're playing New Zealand... There's an Australia A game the week before the test match. So we're all playing this Australia A game at, at AB, AB Field in Brisbane. So Pado, myself, Ben Cutting, Warner, Cowan, Kawaja, a few other guys. We're playing this, this game. And uh, John Inverarity had just taken over as chairman of selectors. So we had this whole new setup. And uh, I can't remember which day of the game it was. But we're, it might have been the last day and the lunch break happens and we all get told to sit down in the change room and Invers walks in and he's picking the team on the spot. Like he's he's gone around and basically told Pato, Davey and I that we're going to make, well, and sorry, and Cutsy that were part of uh, our, well, for, for myself and for, for Cutsy, it was our first Australian squad at home in a test. So they picked the twelve. So there's every chance that three out of the four were going to debut and it was pretty much between Pado, Cutsy and I for two bowling spots. So we, we obviously spend the week of prep at the Gabba before the test match. Bloody cool, being a part of a, a first test series in Australia. And then it was the the night before get uh, get told that um going to debut, which was led to a very sleepless night. Um and I, I blame Elisa for that. She she thought I needed the needed the space day before my first test, so so didn't didn't come and stay at the hotel. And <laughs> she she went uh, obviously the, the Healy's are up in Queensland, yeah. so I think she went and stayed with with um, Ian and the cousins. And then um, so mum flew up day of the test match, and and um, yeah, there I am getting um, in the circle. Um, obviously in alphabetical order, so Pado Pado first by. Um, but Damien Fleming, uh, and then get the great man. To, um, yeah, I, I, he couldn't actually find me in the in the, uh, in the circle at first. He was trying to find me. I'm, I'm the tallest one there. So, <laughs> what did he say? The great one. Oh, I've actually got it on a DVD somewhere that they all gave us individually that I actually haven't watched. Um, so maybe I should because it's, a, it's it. all a bit of a blur. I was very very nervous. Um, yeah, I, I couldn't actually tell you word for. I'll have to watch this to tell you. But um, yeah, I. It was all a bit of a blur that that first day. So then uh, you, you get thrown the ball. Can you? I, I'm sure it was a blur. Can you remember being at the top of your mark? Like uh, Huss talked about, he walked out to bat and he was shaking against the West Indies because he was so so nervous. Um, but he's a nervous customer. He's M Hussey. W- were you were you beset by nerves or was it just I'm just going to go out there and roll? I'll put it this way: so we bowled first from memory, which was bloody great because I didn't have to sit there and wait to. To crap myself any any longer. Um, the way Elisa and Mum remember it, which I kind of do as well, I I hardly said boo on the field, 
and then I went and saw them in the lunch break because they were just near the race. I Apparently I didn't say more than three words. I was still crapping myself. Um, and by tea time, I might have been able to string a few words together. So I would probably bowled a couple of spells in between all of that. So that's probably how nervous I was. I was just trying to hit the cut stuff and, and see how we, how we went. So First test wicket? Yeah, Brendan McCullum. It wasn't the greatest ball. Doesn't matter. Wonderful moment for Mitchell Stark. That's his first Test match wicket. It's still a wicket. All it says is McCullum caught Warner, <laughs> bowled Stark. That's all it says. Well, I think actually the, the first and second were almost identical. I think it was Brendan McCullum caught a point by Davey. Yep. I think the second one was Jesse Ryder caught yep. a point by Davey as well. Yep. So, yeah, not two of my best balls, but I uh, certainly won't be handing them back. So you, 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 I, you, I said before, you know, when did you realise you were good? And you said you didn't feel comfortable for your first twenty Test matches. What's it like? As a, and like I look back at it, you're, a, you're, a, there was no podgy M Stark. Like you are that thin. Like you are, you look about fifteen, and you are so thin. What's it like stepping into the arena of Test cricket when? I don't know whether you believed you could do it or not. From what you were saying, you, you possibly didn't at that point. Yeah. I... I don't know if at the stage I, I felt like I wasn't ready or, or whatnot. I don't think I'd played a, a hell of a lot of first-class cricket, probably not much good stuff anyway. I think it, it's <laughs> probably helped along the way that I'm left-handed um, <laughs> and obviously got a, over the years I've got a bit of airspeed as well. So they've obviously been two things that have helped me along along the way. Um, if I'm completely honest, I don't think I was probably ready for – I don't think I was at that level yet. I don't think I was – I certainly wasn't. I'm still not the finished product, but yeah, I still had a hell of a lot to learn. It was almost like I was learning on on the run through getting into the the senior New South Wales side to to continuing to learn how my body reacted to bowling, to knowing what pain was was good pain and what pain was bad pain. Um, so yeah, it, it took a long time to it took a long time to to feel like I belonged in the in the test test arena and. I played my first two tests back to back, and then I, I my next twelve or thirteen tests were were one off. So I either got dropped or or injured in between. So I've been dropped a lot of times. So I've sort of gotten used to that. How, let's let's talk about how do you cope with being dropped? Uh, like someone comes and says, "Right, Stark, you're out." Like I don't know who tells you that. How, how do you how do you handle that? Uh, yeah, another thing I think that's not getting easier, but it, um, at times it, you understand when it's a uh, when it's a match-up thing or a conditions-based thing, something like the Ashes in, in 2019, which was a lot of that was conditions-based. Um, so so that stuff is a bit easier to swallow. It's never it's never nice. You always want to play every game. Do you come back when they say you're out for this reason? Like, I don't know how it works. None of us do because we've never seen it. Do you come back and push your case or is it just a matter of taking what you get? As my son says, get what you get and don't get upset. <laughs> No, you, you do. I think it's a it's a hard thing to do as a young young player or an inexperienced player. I don't think I certainly don't think I did it early on. Um, I think I certainly asked a lot of questions um, probably the second half of my career, particularly something like through that through that Ashes series or um, one of the hardest ones to swallow was was being left out for boxing. I hadn't played a Boxing Day test yet, and I took five for the week before against Sri Lanka, and then. Got told I had to miss the the Boxing Day test for some other reason. I can't actually. I don't think I 
hung around long enough to listen to the conversation. Okay. So, um, yeah, at, at times it's it's hard to swallow when um, you either obviously a lot of guys are going to disagree, and I've certainly disagreed along the way. Um, but I, I think the the easier ones to to take are when they're not sugar coated, and and I think we as players know when we're not in form or we're we're struggling, or it's it's the times where guys almost try and let you down easy and, and try and sugarcoat things. That's that just leaves you asking more questions. So yeah, the times where you've gone well that you're not right for those conditions, or we we think that you know X Y Z is going to be more suited this to this team or to this wicket. Sure. We just want the same result as Australia to win a game. So they're, they're a bit easy to take. We'll get a bit out of order, but I'll get us back there. So you talked about the 2019 Ashes, five test matches that came to that um, uh, amazing test series. Australia uh, retained the Ashes in England for the first time in however long. I think you played one of the five tests and yeah, got Manchester. Got four for, and throughout it was like, why are they not playing Stark? Why are they not playing Stark? What was it like? sitting in the change rooms watching Stokes and your great mate Nathan Lyon brought to his knees? That goes back to, to being a bad watcher. I, I'm a bad watcher when I can't contribute. Yeah. And all I could do was run a drink out or, you know, stand on the boundary and try and say something along those five days. Uh, yeah, for it was tough um, to see... To see the whole group be so close, and then for someone to play um, unbelievable innings, um, he's a, Stokes is an unbelievable player. Sure. And, um, that Test match will be remembered for a long time for a lot of a lot of reasons, um, particularly that innings. So, but we're, we're Starkey, we're watching it as like we admire Nathan Lyon. We watch him play cricket. He's devastated. We feel for him. But you're. You're looking at it as a mate, which I guess is even harder, and, and one of your best mates. Mate, he was shattered. He, I, I was sitting next to him that next day when we were made to watch it ball by ball again, oh, yeah. and he was he was broken, mate. Um, yeah, what do you say? I don't know. That's um, what I'm asking you. Do you say anything, or do you just give him a pat on the back and say you're a mate? You just wrap your arm around him, and then mm. yeah, just be there. Um, and I think that's that's something that the group does really well. It's it's not necessarily having to say anything, or it's more just checking in. Um, you know, he's probably not doing great for the first day or so, um, but we all make mistakes. Um, his unfortunately, that stage was in front of a lot of people, and we quickly had to move on to the next game. So, yeah, fortunately, he's he's. Um, hugely experienced and, and was able to move on from that very quickly. Um, but at the time, we all felt the pain for him because um, anyone could have made the mistake. Yeah. It was just the timing and, yeah, it was, it was hard to watch and hard to, hard to have to help him through. You're talking about being a batsman as a young fella. What do you think of when I say uh, 2013 <laughs> Mahali Ishant Sharma? <laughs> Yeah. One that got away. <laughs> Shot. Got that away. Don't bowl short to Mitchell Stark. That's the uh, early message. Again, crashed through the offside. In fact, down the ground. It was pitched up. He just went through with the shot. 99 and hit everything out of the middle. I look back at it. 
Very easy for me to say because I cannot play cricket. So you got caught behind to a ball that sort of moved away. I don't know if you were trying to hit it through mid-wicket, but you, you had not played a full shot. You're a 99 Starkey. I think I played four or five bad shots to the ball before I got out. Well, yeah, I didn't to want to mention the those. Same ball. I didn't want to mention those. Were you aware of the number up on the scoreboard? Yeah, I, I think um, I, I think so. Nathan and I had batted for a long time through that that uh, that innings, and, and Steve Smith got out for ninety six um, that same innings. I batted for a long time with him too, but um, I remember being. It was pretty much fun and games. It was just jokes and taking the Mickey out of each other for until I got to the sort of eighty five. The way Nathan tells the story, yes, he reckons I got really quiet from eighty five <laughs> onwards. So. Um, you'd think that uh, one of your good mates at the other end might come down and say a few words or try and calm you down, but so you're just sitting on his back. You're so. blaming it on Nathan now. I like this. <laughs> I like the way the story's going. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, it was a little bit reverse there or what felt like reverse and, and um, played and missed four or five and then nicked the, the fifth one. Edson taken. He will go for 99. You can see the disappointment on the faces of uh, everyone in that dressing room. He's played so well. He was living dangerously. Finally gets the outside edge. And uh, that really is heartbreaking. He played so well. He deserved it. Uh, 99 is better than zero, but, um, yeah, it got away, didn't it? It was the one that... Um... <laughs> There's the one that Warner used to talk about as well with when he got out court and he reckoned it was a no ball and it's still he he would bring that up. Uh, like I don't know if it's cognizant in your mind whether we'd bring it up or he would bring it up. It come up once a test match. <laughs> Warney. I'm not sure. I'm not sure he got over it to be honest. Oh, it was so long ago. I, I think I've I had a chance in Melbourne. Yeah. Against Pakistan, and uh, Smithy was on about. 700 at the stage. We batted forever. And um, he, he said we had 20 minutes. I think we had five minutes to, or maybe had 10 minutes to go and tried one too many and got caught on the fence. So you could argue that was another one that let slip. Um, I've had a few chances, so I can't really say that. It'll come. 99 was the one and only. If it comes, it comes. If not, who? It'll come. I've had 99. So White ball cricket. The 2015 World Cup. Obviously, everyone talks to you about the final, but the game against New Zealand where <laughs> I think you guys made 150-odd, 151 maybe, and you, yeah, took six, two, you took six rolls. looking at it last night, and we'll speak about Shane, but you are just bowling 150-plus Yorker Yorkers and bowling Australia back into the game. And Ian Smith and Warney are – it's the commentary I love – I don't know if you've listened back to it. They're, they're like two six-year-olds just jumping around a commentary <laughs> box at what was going on. It was one of the more amazing white ball performances I've ever seen. Look for the Yorker. Look for the big Yorker. It was probably, for us, it almost felt like it was the game of the World Cup. It was yeah. – the rest of the World Cup was like scores of 300, 400. Yeah. Batter friendly, blokes were going ballistic with the bat. That was the one game that was bowler dominated and at the same time so even. It went down to one wicket. So um, incredible to be a part of. The atmosphere at Eden Park was, was awesome and it sort of – 
you could you could hear and see the waves of it all from the from the locals to obviously bowling on south for 150. I think they got off to a bit of a flyer, uh, and then when when Baz got out, it got a little bit. Uh, well, we were nowhere near the end there, but they only had to get 150, and I think he got 40 off 20 balls or something. Yeah. And then a couple of wickets later, because we had because we got bowled so early, we had the dinner break. That's right. Um, yeah. Halfway through their innings, so I think. I think we took a wicket, maybe the third wicket, and then we had to go off for dinner. So they're sitting at maybe three for 80 or something, and we go off for dinner. And they only need another 60 to win or something. So I thought, well, it was a bit of a quiet change room. Bowl was obviously still, obviously still had a, a bit of a chat about what we were going to do. Um, but it, at Eden Park, there's no, there's no wicket block. There's, I think we only had one wicket, and the rest of it's lush grass. So the ball doesn't actually scuff. It almost, through that week, we found the ball almost swung more hmm. the more he played because it stayed lush, stayed smooth. So the ball's still swinging. And they don't bat overly deep. They, Baz scored a lot of runs that World Cup. So we, we thought, mm, you never know. It might be a sniff. I didn't think it was going to go the way it went, but you just never know. The rest, yeah. The rest just happened, I guess. The ball swung, we got a few on target and got us close and old Iceman Kane Williamson hit a six to win the game. Yeah, he did. <laughs> but before we get to the World Cup final, when you say a few things click, pause on the World Cup final for a sec. When it is going and working and swinging and you're bowling 150 plus, what is the key to, to that? When it's working, what is working for you? Because when you are hot, you are so hot. I feel like when when it actually feels slower, when it feels smooth and slower, that's when it's its fastest. So you're not trying to bowl 150. Everything just is in rhythm. Everything's balanced, and and then it all just comes out quicker. So it's been the days where I've tried to run in and bowl as fast as I can and I spray in everywhere and, yeah, it might be fast, but I'm trying way too hard. Other days where I was running in a bit slower and probably more on target but not coming out very quick. So it's finding that middle ground and that I've always found my run-up dictates that if I'm smooth in my run-up and balanced and it's that sweet spot of not, not running in too hard but not running in slow that it affects your ball speed. So... Yeah, I think I think for me it's always been the smoothness of smoothness of it. Um, it's been when it's at, at its at its quickest. So the MCG World Cup final, twenty fifteen. What's it like bowling in front of a crowd of a hundred thousand people? Not sure I've ever heard anything louder. Certainly not while I've been on the ground. Yeah, it was an incredible lead up the the six weeks of the World Cup. It was just a hell of a lot of fun. It was great to be. Just to ride all those emotions of the World Cup, to play in front of home fans, to have families there along the whole way. Yeah, it was six bloody fantastic weeks and then it culminated in this full house against New Zealand. The two hosts, it couldn't have worked any better for both teams. And, yeah, two two teams in great form and we obviously had a, a fantastic first match in at Eden Park and it was this return match that just happened to be the World Cup final and... So it was. Um, it all. It all led to a fantastic game. And the ball to get McCullum. Bowled 
Yeah, I didn't think it was going to happen. Um, he missed the first two. Yeah, he did, yeah. Because the first one, first one missed on the outside and I thought, geez, it's that was our chance. And the second one, I think he ran at me and I missed the leg stump. And then I, from there I was like, mate, he's got all the luck here. He's just going to blaze away. It's Baz's World Cup. That was like that was what I thought for a moment, and then I thought I have another crack, and just got a bit got lucky and hit the off stump and carried on like an endless chunk. And what was the noise then? Try and try and take yourself back, and without using cliche words, what 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 is it like take, knocking over the opposition captain in front of a hundred thousand people at a home World Cup? There's there's not many cricketers are going to experience that, Starkey. Oh, that the footage still gives me goosebumps. I've seen it. A lot of times. Oh, that's your views on YouTube, <laughs> isn't it, right? <laughs> oh, I've seen I've seen it in a lot of different places. A lot of times, um, you just you just ride the emotion. Like Josh tells me that I ran down to him at fine leg. Like I, <laughs> I, I, I swear I didn't. I reckon I was at the the circle, but he reckons I was running around, carried on, which I, I probably was. Um, and yeah, it was ninety odd thousand people. The start of the game. I think all our emotions came out on the field. It was just, I was out of breath for the next ball. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was, it was incredible. It's nice to see you smile about it now. Test cricket, Starkey, we talked about when everything's going right. What, what's, what is it for you when it goes wrong? Like what's been your hardest time, session or period in test cricket? Because you've been, you have been at times heavily criticised. Yeah, I have. Um, that comes with it. Um, as I said before, we I'm pretty sure we as players know when we're not we're not performing well or we're out of form or we're not not playing our role. Um yeah, I've certainly been on the end of it, but a lot of it's probably been warranted, I guess. Um it, it's a bit, I've always um, been I it, this is um I thought about this. It's uncomfortable now because if Shane was with us, it would be so simple for me to say, you know, Warney's criticized you a lot over the years. How have you dealt with that? And you would answer it truly, but now he's not here. It's that horrible expression, you don't want to speak ill of the dead. So, like, Shane was very public in his criticism of you and when Shane would say something, the cricket world takes notice. How, how do you deal with criticism like that? Um, differently at different stages. Um, I mean, it's all, it's all been very well publicised, I guess, um, but I've never really... I never really had those conversations with Shane, so um, it was all played out very publicly, which was is a shame. Um, and it's sad now that obviously he's not with us anymore. So we've never we never had those conversations um, privately, which is which is a shame because he's one of our greatest ever, and yeah. and his knowledge of the game and. Obviously, he's obviously watched just as much cricket as he's played. So, and he was very much the opinion star here. I'm paid to give my opinion. I will not shy away from giving my opinion. Um, that was the way he approached it. Yeah, and I, I think that's very much warranted. Um, but at the same time, I think that's what that a part of me is disappointed about is that we never had that private conversation, or, or I only ever I've only ever known or heard what he felt about me and my cricket while he commentated. So, and, yeah, we'll never have that opportunity now. So, but, yeah, I think I've learned to deal with that in different ways. Um, obviously not very well to start with and then other times it was pretty much just I've, I've learned not just that but with a lot of things just to learn, learn to let things go and and 
be very much of the opinion that he is entitled to his opinion. He's got that opinion and has earned the right for that opinion because of his status in the game as well. Um, and that's fine. Everyone's entitled to that opinion. I don't, I don't have to hear it, listen to it, worry about it. Um, that's fine. I tell you, I tell you a story that you won't know. So, first ball, the Ashes. <laughs> you knock over Rory Burns. A sellout today here for day one of the Ashes. Mitchell Stark ball in hand. Rory Burns on strike. Carey debut. We're set to go. Let's get it on, Gilly. <laughs> Outstanding moment. Just one of those. It's Slater hitting the first ball for four. It's Harmison bowling a wide and it's Stark. And, and you know, you've swung it around the corner and, and Gilly's in there with Junior. I'm sure you've heard the commentary. And 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 Mark War is great because he really does say what he thinks and it doesn't matter who it is. And, he, you know, when he said, oh, it was just a straight ball and league stump, Junior's like, no, mate, that has swung. And, and people can hear that. They can hear that. But what you don't know is then you come out to the back at the end of the stint and there'll be, you know, um, uh, Michael Vaughan there, Isha Gua, Junior, Kerry, Gilly, and Warney's like, it was just a straight ball and leg stump and everybody <laughs> from Fox Cricket is sitting there. We got the, you know, you go back on KO and do it by frame by frame. We're like, mate, that has swung a mile. And he's swearing black and blue. No, it's a straight ball and leg stump. He's swearing black and blue. What was that moment like for you? Like to start the Ashes. I know we've been, I've been jumping around all over the shop here, but I get too excited. To start the Ashes, first ball of the summer, <laughs> bang, old Rory Stumps go flying from a, a big in-swinger, although, as I said, Warney thought it was a straight <laughs> one day. <laughs> yeah. It, oh, it was almost, it, it wasn't the same as, as the World Cup, but it was, that's as loud as I've ever heard the Gabba, yeah. that's for sure. Um, and, I mean, I, I'd love to say that I... I drew it up that way and I meant to swing it around his legs, but I was running in trying to bowl a fast swinging ball at the stumps. It wasn't – I never intended it to be a swinging one around the legs, um, but that's generally how I start most games is trying to swing the ball at the stumps at some sort of pace. So, yeah, to to start the Ashes that way, um, I think it, it suppressed a bit of doubt personally because um, I, I didn't have the greatest of lead-ins. I – I had like four weeks of quarantine or something. And then, yeah, and then um, to have the backing of the group and then to be given the first over and then to, to start with that momentum um, definitely was a, was a nice little moment to, to start the summer personally. But for the team, it was, it was great to kickstart the Ashes like that. More of Mitch in a tick. From one left armour named Mitch to another left armour named... Mitch. This time, Johnson. Mitchell Johnson appeared on the podcast on episode 145. He was honest, he was forthright, and he was very, very open when talking about his mental health. What's your experiences being a top-level athlete when you're under the pump and everything is going wrong and people are giving it to you left, right and centre? How, how difficult a space can that be when you're going from hotel room to hotel room, the results aren't coming and it's on the back page and the front page? Yeah, it's it's a really tough one because um, I guess you have to 
to know what how far you can take yourself mentally as well and what you can take. Um, I guess I knew in my career where there was times where I just wanted to be in my room by myself and I knew it was a bad idea because all I would do is think about the things that were being said about me, how bad my last performance was. Um, I'd, I'd look up on the internet and you'd read all the all the crap basically and you'd... I knew that was a bad thing. So I knew something was going on early on with me. Um, obviously, it stems back from a, from a long, long time ago, but um, cricket was sort of a, it sort of mastered a little bit and I was able to use it to, to my advantage a little bit. Um, and I guess that's where that aggression came in as well. Okay. I was probably angry with things about myself, but once I was able to control that on the field, I actually felt a lot better. And I was able to enjoy myself in that last three years. I absolutely loved the last part of my career because I did it my way and I was at a stage where I felt very mature in the game, um, still learning, but um, just knew what was going on and I wasn't lost. That is Mitchell Johnson on episode 145 on the podcast. Let's get back to Mitch. What's it like to win an Ashes? Like you won that Ashes 4-0, you've won other Ashes. What does it mean to be an Ashes winning cricketer? Yeah, pretty cool. Um, be, be great to do it uh, away. Um, yeah, there's some great memories. Um, that, that whole Ashes series was, was very different for a lot of reasons, whether it be, um, you know, COVID issues or um, personnel, um, outside noise, whatever. But... Um, what year was it? it was the 17 Ashes mm. might have been at home. Um, that was very special in itself as well to to um, to do that as a bowling group with, with three of my best mates um, was really special as a group. Um, and then as a, as a team on a whole, Ashes series is just so special. So to to, to sit there in, in Sydney um, or, or the last one in, in Hobart and to have the urn and to to sit back after that series and reminisce from, from the five test matches as a group and whether it's Scotty Boland taking wicket after wicket in Melbourne or Travis Head smacking them around or Steve Smith destroying the palms again, just to, to have that moment as a group to to reflect on. Um, yeah, it's great. It's, it's You should reflect on personal milestones, but for the group, um, they're always very special. Have you ever seen anything like Scotty Boland at the MCG? Bloody incredible. Uh, I was. Uh, I remember being at Fine Leg, and I think I was bowling a spell with him. And I, I don't know how many wickets he'd taken. It just felt like every time he bowled the ball, they'd either nick it, mm. miss it, mm. or get bowled. <laughs> and and then to he finished an over after a few wickets, and I was walking up to take to to drop my hat off, and he was walking back towards Bay Thirteen. And no doubt for a Victorian to take wickets at the MCG in a Boxing Day test to then walk back towards Bay 13 and everyone chant your name. That must be bloody incredible because mm-hmm. every, I don't think a single player on that field wasn't smiling at watching Scotty walk back there and to see him, to see him do that through the test match was bloody incredible. He was so he was even more humble than you, you know, when you guys had to convince him to hold the ball up with his five <laughs> wickets, you know. He didn't want a bar if it did he. No, he didn't. He didn't. He's so quietly spoken and... 
Um, but no, he's a cracker and, yeah, he deserved every bit of that. That was a hell of a week. So the flip side, what is it like to be out on the Oval uh, in England and Joe Root or et cetera is receiving the Ashes? How, how does that sit as an Australian cricketer? Yeah, the flip side, it's, it stings. Um, I mean, we... <laughs> We drew the one in nineteen, um, so we didn't we didn't win it. But it was great to 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 uh, retain. Yeah, um, hell of a series that one. It, it ebbed and flowed for five Test matches. Um, but the two previous trips I've been to, we lost well, three nil and four nil or something. I'm not quite sure, but we certainly didn't win. So um, yeah, it's tough to to go through all the hype and the preparation and, and you know what it all means and to be to be as dominant as we are at home to then not be able to win away from home, it definitely stings at the end of the series. And, um, I mean, you, you take it in a few ways. You, you either learn from it and, and try and get better and you sit and dwell about it. And um, sometimes it's it's almost nice being a, a multi-format player because we had to get on a... <laughs> Get on with a white ball series after a few of those Ashes series. So, yeah, it's, um, you know, we go back there next year. Hopefully we can can go one better than 2019 and, and, and win the Ashes in England. That would be bloody incredible. I think for this group, we've got a, an unbelievable opportunity this year to, to obviously tour India and then tour England, tour away series, which are now certainly the biggest series for for these three countries, Australia, India, Australia, England, they're two huge yeah. series. If uh, for us as a group, if we can, if we can manage to win in India away and then win in England away, that's a hell of an achievement, especially in a in a twelve month or six month period. I asked you earlier on what it's like when everything is going right. Um, when it's not going right for you personally, bowling, Mitchell Johnson, um, another left armer, and he explained the mechanics of left arm bowling to me and what it takes to go right and just a slightest thing. And he, he said he'd struggle to hit the cut surface. W- what happens technically for you when it goes wrong and what's it like when, when it's not working, you're out in the middle of a test match? Yeah, it's – for me it's always been that control. And I think I've uh, – I mean, I've copped it plenty of times about whether my rate is off or not um, – and I, I generally bowl a fuller length than the other two in, in terms of Josh and Pat. And that's many times that's that's something that is great for us. We complement each other really well with the different ways we go about bowling. Um, and I'm fine with that. I know I'm, I'm always going to be a little bit more economically poor and a bit more expensive because I bowl a bit fuller and I'm a bit more attacking and I bowl a bit quicker. But at times... That's also the role I play. I'm a bit of a battering ram at times. At times I've been made to bowl the, the short, sharp spells of, of bounces. Um, and Josh is this, he can just, he's the Glenn McGrath. He can hit a spot on the wicket and do it day after day, series after series. Pat's almost a bit of a hybrid between the two of us. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, and obviously you've got the goat who does his thing. So I think that's what the four of us have done so well together is complement each other in our attack. And then... I think at times because I've been a bit more expensive, if if my rate has been off a bit, I've had to, I've almost had to make the other two work a bit harder when I'm not I'm not on. So that's what almost frustrates me the most is I'm making my, my mates work harder for me. Um, and it's something else. At the same time, I've managed to bring back over the years and get better at is is being more consistent and and 
being able to to play my role a bit more regardless of whether I take wickets or not and be able to hold an end or to bowl in a partnership. And what we're after in the end is 20 wickets in a test match. doesn't matter who gets them. We just need 20 wickets to win a test match. If you give us a crack at 20 wickets, we'll win you again. Right. You ready for the question from the big penguin? The big penguin. I can't wait for this. Right. Uh, <laughs> if, he, if he was here, he could deliver it in person, but I think he's actually he's off at that, that cricket training at the moment. So, Ooh. all right, here you go. Hey, Starkey, big penguin here. I really, really, really like watching you bowl because whenever you bowl, something's happening. Stumps are breaking. So whenever anyone's watching the cricket and I hear, oh, Starkey's bowling, I always run over and it's really interesting. But what I want to know is what's the fastest ball you've ever bowled? He's a big fan. He's a big fan. Big penguin. I'm a big fan of the penguin. Oh. I've heard him a lot of times on this on the podcast. <laughs> He'll be I've happy heard with him that. from a young a young tacker. Yeah, I've he heard started him, as a grow up over the podcast. Yeah, he started as a three year old actually on this show. Yeah. Yeah. Um no, thanks for the, the question, Pingy. Um the fastest ball I bowled was in a test match at the WACA against the Kiwis. One sixty point four, I think it was. Best Yorker in world cricket right there. That's 160.4, that one. That's around 100 mile an hour on the old scale. Yeah, that's right, or is the radar overheating? 160. Look at Brett Lee, he's piped up in the back of the commentary box. Now the crowd are involved, they want faster. Come on, Mitch. Gee, he's got some rhythm, isn't he? You can see him snapping through that action. It's all rhythm. Yeah, I just remember being like concrete over at the Wacker, I think, Baz might have been 100-something. Ross Taylor, I reckon, scored 200 for the game. It was a boring draw and it just got to a point where we needed something to happen and uh, that's it was one of the times where everything just clicked rhythm-wise and I took the handbrake off and I think I bowled a couple of overs in the mid and high 150s and then managed to get one. I think I busted the toe of Baz's bat, one ball, hmm. which I think, I think actually felt quicker but a couple of balls later was the the 160, and then turns out that game I fractured a foot and played the next test in Adelaide and it broke in half, so well, it I won't tell, I won't tell Penguin <laughs> about that bit. I'll tell you about the 160.4. It's um, In recent years, there's been a couple of really high-profile situations in Australian cricket to our captains. Um, I'm, I'm not here to judge what or what didn't happen, but we saw what Steve went through after South Africa and we saw what Tim went through before the Ashes. Um, I spoke about Nathan and it's one of your mates getting smacked by Stokes. What's it like seeing Steve front that press conference when he landed in Sydney or Tim's world being brought down around him? Yeah, it's short answer, it's not nice at all to to see your mates go through that and, and likewise with Davey and, and, and Cameron as well yep. on the back of, of Steve. So we live very public lives. Very, and, very Mitchell. Um, everything you do is public and heavily scrutinised and we are role models whether you like it or not and everything you do, good and bad, is going to be noticed and talked about and scrutinised from time to time, maybe not always, but um, you're always sort of in that that public eye, aren't you? So, and and there's a lot of kids, boys and girls, who look up to your male and female cricketers, and and 
want to be your Pat Cummins and Steve Smiths and Elise Perrys and Elise Healy's. So the short answer is it's not nice to see mates go through that. Do you worry about like... Um, you worry for the people. Yeah, like mental, health, for, for... Mate, mental health is such a big part of modern society and athletes are, need to be credited to bring it to the fore. Like I spoke to Mitchie Marsh on this uh, about the issues he's had with anxiety, pressure and uh, like do, do you worry about the, the state of your friends when those things are going on? Yeah, you do and and you've you got to be able to check in with them. You've got to, you know, some guys, we're talking cricket now, but some guys are closer to, to others, to, to guys than others and whether it's just going and seeing him and, and checking in or you send a message or you, you see if guys are okay and... I mean, the last three years have taught taught everyone that you need to, to look after yourself mentally yep. first and foremost and you've got to have good support networks. And I think I'd like to think that certainly those those four guys do and it's great to see, you know, the three guys playing cricket again. Tim's now playing cricket again, which is, is all four of them back in the game. So it, it's going to take time to, to get past certain things and having those support networks and great people around you and being able to to recognise that you need a bit of help or you need to be able to rely on those people. And, I mean, I'm very fortunate that I've got, you know, Elisa that goes through very much of the same stuff that I do. I've got, you know, I think I get great perspective from someone like Brandon as well who, who's in an in individual sport and... Very lucky as cricketers, we get, you know, you get put on a plane in a hotel and get told to go here, there and everywhere, but don't have to worry about it. In individual sport, not just my brother, but in a lot of individual sports, they, they're paying their own way, mm. they're finding their own way, they're, if you want your team with you, you've got to look after them. So, um, yeah, I've been, I'm very grateful that I'm in a position where I can, can help him, I can help out the family in that regard. But in terms of the mental stuff, it's... And guys going through certain things like they have, you, you've got to check in on your mates. You've got to check on in and have those support networks, which is, is certainly what everyone's sort of learned the last three years. Yeah, my word, they have. Um, great vision. I don't know where you are when you're watching your brother jump um, in the Tokyo Olympics. Where were you then? It was a training session. Where's that? Yeah, we're in Bangladesh. In Bangladesh. What's it like watching him compete in the world level? Uh, for those that don't know, Brandon is a very, very accomplished high jumper, um, one of the top high jumpers. Can, like, can you get your head around how high he jumps? But I remember he used to get around, um, you know, you go to like a, a, a parking structure or whatever and you have that the limit, like the height limit. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He used to go around, yeah, I got that covered. I got that covered. Like, <laughs> Good on him. <laughs> but no, it's bloody incredible. I certainly, he's stolen the springs off me, so yeah. um, I can't jump to save my life. But, um, yeah, bloody incredible. So we were, we were, we were Dakar, weren't we? So um, that was... 2021 because it was the 2020 games. Yeah. So we, we had a training session um, scheduled. But um, Dale and the guys were happy with me sort of popping in between fielding drills when he was waiting to jump or getting ready to jump. So, um, But they embraced it too and I think there was, um, there was a few times where he, he snuck over the bar and um, 
there were a lot of the guys watching, so that was pretty cool. Uh, I didn't think I'd be watching watching my brother at the Olympics while sitting in in a Dakar in Bangladesh. So <laughs> bizarre world in the in the world of technology and media. Uh, for the last four years of your career, there's been two broadcasters, Seven, who do an amazing job, and Fox Cricket, who obviously are on bias, but I think they do a wonderful job as well. What's it like when the old flying fox comes down? This fascinates me because I know from our perspective, it is amazing television when Steve's out in the middle or Usman's made a hundred and he's talking to us or you've taken a wicket and and spoken to us. But it's a it's a fine line between invading your workspace. Um, how is it for you when that comes down and you start being asked? So for people that don't know, the flying fox will go down. Um, it might be a drinks break. And typically Gav is our director. He'll say, oh, Starkey, are you right to have a chat? And it's thumbs up or thumbs down depending on the state of the play. Um, and then if it's thumbs up, bang, all of a sudden you're talking in the heat of the moment. It's quite bizarre. Like it's great sports TV, but I'm often fascinated as to how it is for you guys. Uh, generally they're all well-received, I think. There's, there might be certain stages and I think I've been guilty of that where I've come off a, a shock and spell or a bad over or something or from the middle of a, of a spell and I'm... Need a, really need a drink. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but generally I think, you correct me if I'm wrong, I think generally we've been pretty good. Oh, I've been um, outstanding, outstanding. It's it's part of the world of sport these days. If, if you don't embrace it, you, you'll be left behind or you'll cop the wrath. Um, that's, that's not how you approach it. We just know that everyone was a kid once, right? So you want to see, as a sports lover, you want to see that. You want to see the inside. You want to see the inside of the change room. You want to see that. You do the chat in the heat of the battle, the middle of the session on day five when Australia are trying to win a test match against England in the deciding Ashes series. You want to know what Pat Cummins is thinking mid-spell, right? Mm. So I think I think we as a group have, without question, have tried to just embrace that and almost see it for, for its worth. It's a great insight and... Yeah, sometimes it might not be ideal situation, but what's 30 seconds out of your day to have a chat to Howie and, and see how things are going? Yeah, but it's a massive credit to you all. And from our point of view, you're just so conscious about what you're going to ask. Like Usman made a, a hundred once and you, you swept up in the moment. When he made the second hundred at the SCG and I think I was on at that stage and I said to you, you know, where, where's this in your career and what does it mean to you? Um, and he was quite right. He said, Howie, I'm out here batting. Like, I haven't had a time to think about that. So it's it's really interesting as to what questions to ask as well. It's almost, I think it's short and sweet and leave it up to you guys because we're sitting here in the air-conditioned box and we've just had a, a hamburger and it's nice and relaxed, whereas you're out in the middle of it. So knowing what to ask can be a bit of a challenge as well in that situation. Yeah, it can. And I think at times that either the state of play or how the day is going or how someone's performing obviously dictates on that response too, I guess, mm. or, or the question that might come up. So, yeah, whether it's Uzi who's been concentrating and batting for 100-odd runs or you know, Paddy's on the back end of an eight-over spell. Um, sometimes that might dictate a question or an answer, but, I mean, generally it's it's all lighthearted stuff. It's it's pretty straightforward as talking about the game or the situation yep. or whether Greeny's hung onto a screamer at point or yeah. gully or whatever. So it's all it's all good stuff and it's just, it may be, it may be very little or feel like very little to us, um, but to the sports lover, yeah, it's great. And it's, it's, 
it's no different to me watching watching the AFL or the NFL or whatever it may be. I, I'd I'd like to to hear that yeah, insight stuff too. Whether do. it's a where it's Phil Davis walking off the field at three quarter time or half time, and you get a bit of an insight there. Like as a sports lover, you love that stuff. You mentioned kids, and like kids look at that, and you know it blows them away. Like oh, my kids love it. That like they love the the flying fox and knowing what's going on. But what is it like for you uh, as a as a very humble man when kids come up like like it, it's I hope you experience this, you and Lisa at some stage if you choose to become parents, when once your kids start looking outside of you and they start developing heroes. So when I tell my ten year old that Mitchell Stark's coming on, like he he's genuinely excited about that. Genuinely excited. What's it like for you when kids come up to you and express that you are a hero to them and they want to be like you and they want to do what you're doing. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's bloody, it's fantastic. I don't know why they'd <laughs> pick this tall left armour, but... Um, <laughs> it no, has been it, wiki. It <laughs> has been wiki, that's right. No, it, it's it's very humbling. It's, um, I mean, it, it takes you back to when you were a kid, right? So I, I remember Dad picking me up from a, from school early and driving down to Canberra to watch a PM's 11 game and it was the back end of Steve Moore's career and he, he got out and pulled up a, a seat and signed autographs on the fence for hours and remember waiting, waiting at the back of the line for hours and get this, this autograph. So we're all kids once. Mm. It doesn't take much to, to make their day or their week by saying, saying hello or having a bit of a chat or, or signing a bat or a hat. These days it's more photos than anything but... Yeah. Um, yeah, and and they're all they all yell at you on the field, and sometimes you you may not hear it or get to them. But um, I think a lot of a lot of men and women do that really well now. Is whether it's hanging hanging back for five minutes after after play or in a break, it it doesn't take much, and it it could be those memories that get that young boy or girl into a career career. It could go, yeah, that that's the sport I want to play, and. It took you five seconds to to make that decision for them by signing an autograph or giving them the time of day. It doesn't actually take that much. It's a great answer. One of my, you'd won a test at the SCG and Smitty with all his gloves, he'd taken them out of his bag and he was leaning over that member's pavilion just throwing them out to the kids and they were like seagulls. And I don't know if we ever caught it on camera, but it was my favourite moment of the whole series, whatever series that was, because just I could just see, I was just walking past seeing these kids and it was just, they'd got a Steve Smith glove and it was like, it was Christmas. It was Christmas for these kids. It's the little things, isn't it? It is the little things. Sponsor's nightmare, but... I'll tell you what, for someone who only gets about three, I only ask for about three pairs of gloves a season and every, every kid wants a pair of gloves because Steve <laughs> and David and Marnus get 70 pairs of gloves a summer and they hand them out like like they're pieces of chocolate. They do. So, yeah, look, it, it's great for the kids but um, I, I don't have the gloves to give away. So if you're listening, <laughs> if you're listening, go up to Steve or David or Marnus, not poor old Stargy. Talk about kids, mate. We always finish this show the same way as you know. Um, you've had a lot of success in your athletic career and I think more than that, you, as people understand now, if they didn't know, you're such a warm, grounded, lovely fellow. For, for those kids that are wanting to achieve some success in their chosen field, whatever it may be, what advice would you give them, Starkey? I think the one thing that I've learned along the way is to enjoy the journey, good and bad, because there's, there's a lot more 
failures or downsides than there are probably good, um, particularly when you, you you work hard or you strive for that that top echelon. Um, but you've got to enjoy the journey for for what it is and learn from learn from the hard stuff to be to enjoy really enjoy the good stuff. And it's it's not a not a sob story, but I've yeah I've certainly gone through injuries and and drops to, uh, selection and whatnot. And I've I, I guess if I could tell a younger self something, it would probably be how to deal with those better. Mm. And whilst I've learnt how to how to get past it or learn learnt to grow from it over the years and with the experience, um, it, it's very hard to do as a young guy or a young girl because we all want things to happen straight away and to be the best or be at the top straight away and it just doesn't happen that way. It might happen for one or two, but it doesn't happen without the hard work or or enjoying that journey. So, um, yeah, I think for me it is actually just to enjoy the good and the bad for what it is and what it, what it can teach you. It's a great answer, Matt. I've been looking forward to this since you uh, said you had time to come on. Uh, it's um, I said it at the start, it's always good to see you at, at a test match. It's great, in fact, because you've always got a smile on your face and you've always got a, a warm word to say to everyone. So I appreciate you coming on the show. May you have many more successes this summer and with your beautiful wife. Thank you so much for joining me on the Howie Games. Uh, I love everything you do and I love the way you represent the country. It's absolutely fantastic, mate. Thank you so much. Howie, thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. I've loved being on and I've... I'll be a fan for many, many a time to come. Will you listen back to your own episode or not? Probably not. I hate listening to myself, <laughs> let alone talking about myself. So You um, did a good job, mate. Oh. <laughs> well done. <laughs> no, I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I told you at the start, the big man is just a warm, friendly, happy customer. Thanks to Starkey for coming on, being so great, and for spreading the love and good vibes. Whenever you see him, the man is full of positivity. Until next week, with Will Power, peace and love. And we can do it if we try, try, try. If we try, try, try. If we try, try, try